This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hiya, handsome. Come to join the party. Hey, party people. Welcome to the Patrama Party, where way more people show up than you invited. But you're a people pleaser, so you let them trash the house and then your mom fucking kills you. It's sort of like the cat in the hat, which that book stressed me out so much when I was little. I was like, yo, their mom is going to fucking murder them when she gets home. All because this idiot cat with his idiot friends won't stop being a bunch of assholes who can't take a hint. Like the anxiety I felt as a kid thinking that their mom was like my mom. <laughs> and then I grew up and realized that for kids who didn't have moms with chaotic rage, it's actually a really fun book. So so yeah, there you have it. That's my book review of The Cat in the Hat. <laughs> so anyway, grab your straight iron and your trash bag for all the cups and let's get into it. I'm your host, Remy Ramirez, and this week is my last episode of season one, quote unquote. If I'd had any organization or like <laughs> forethought of any kind preceding the initiation of this podcast, I would have planned a season schedule, but I did not do that. So I've just been pumping out these episodes for the last two plus years. And now I'm going to take a little break till mid-March and um, yeah, catch my breath a little bit and then I'll be back. In the meantime, here we are. Here we are. It'll be after Christmas when this airs. But right now, as I'm recording, it's just a couple days before. And of course, New Year's is around the corner. I'm doing this episode alone. If you're new, normally I have a therapist or other mental health professional on. But today, uh, yeah, I'm flying solo. And I I thought I'd share some thoughts about things that dovetail for me with the holidays. I, I'm not someone who puts a, a lot of stock into the whole you know, like new year, new you vibe. I've never made resolutions or anything like that. I feel like every year people are like, last year was the worst. This year is going to be the best. And then they just say that every year, <laughs> which I think is because 
um, you know, I, I, I think it's because every year brings its own hardships, its own challenges and struggles. And some years those struggles feel fucking insurmountable and other years, maybe they feel more manageable, but this idea that you're going to have a year that's just easy breezy. Well, that's, it's never been true for me. Right. And it, it just feels sort of like a trap to set myself up for that. But another reason I think people struggle year to year is because of resilience. And I've been thinking about resilience so much when I come back in the spring, I want to like properly do a resilience episode, but I've been thinking about it so much because years ago I watched this Ted talk, uh, where, where this woman, she was like a social scientist. She did all this research on children and she followed children from like kindergarten or maybe even preschool all the way through maybe college, maybe high school. I can't remember, but for a long time she followed them and her team was trying to determine what the number one factor determinant was in um, predicting success. Like, is it IQ intelligence? Is it uh, emotional intelligence? Is it, you know, being able to rationalize? Is it people skills, right? Like social skills, trying to figure out what, what is the thing that most determines whether or not someone will be successful? I mean, let's, let's just go ahead and acknowledge like being white is probably really helpful. Um, et cetera, et cetera. But like, she was looking purely from through this lens of social science and what they determined was that the number one determining factor was none of those things. It was resilience. The definition of resilience. I looked this up just to like, you know, I don't know, be thorough about it is the capacity to withstand or to recover quickly from difficulties. <laughs> uh, lol. I'm just, uh, yeah, it's, it's just like, if you're coming from being chronically traumatized or abused, hearing that can feel really disheartening, right? Cause like when your brain has been wired early on with trauma, despair is a really comfortable go-to because a it's familiar and B it keeps us safe. Despair keeps us safe because being hopeful and then being disappointed can send us into such a tailspin, right? So it's just easier to be like, well, this is fucked. Everything's fucked. <laughs> but, but another reason I think that despair keeps us safe is that so many of us weren't allowed to have or express painful feelings as kids. Like, you know, we were yelled at if we cried. We were shamed if we were scared. God, I remember this. Well, I don't, I'm, I'm sure I've talked about this on the pod before. There's this one awful time when my dad screamed, I mean, screamed at my sister because she was afraid to light the pilot on the stove. I mean, you know, <laughs> first of all, children should just never be like lighting a match and sticking their hand next to fire. That's just fucking insane. But, you know, and you know, like my mom, if we had even the slightest hint of irritation or disapproval in our voices, my mom would shoot us this blood curdling look that meant if you don't want to get hurt, you'll smile at me right now. In fact, I think she would even, she would say something 
I don't remember the exact words, but it was like pretty close to you better cheer the fuck up right now, which is like, what? <laughs> what a crazy thing to tell a child. And this is one one way that abuse can look right. This militant, like scare tactic manipulation of emotions. that was so common for me growing up. I wasn't ever allowed to just be miserable, right? Like to just be pissed off or be depressed. And so as an adult, there's been almost a relief for me in despair. Even though it's it's so painful, it feels somehow like luxurious for me and indulgent because it's like I can finally fucking relax and just be messed up over something, which sounds yeah, counterintuitive. It's because it's such a dark, hopeless place. But that's just what's been true for me is that despair can actually feel really safe and feel really good. 2023 challenged me in the exact way that I really fucking didn't need, or I should say in the way I really didn't want. And in the one exact way that is most difficult for me in terms of resilience, in the way that brings me to despair the, the deepest and the quickest. And I did, I went immediately to despair and I really wasn't good for a while, which <laughs> maybe you guys noticed. I did a lot of crying, uh, on episodes this year. I knew that if I was going to move through the pain I was in, I was going to have to show up differently. I was going to have to use tools in a new way. I was going to have to push myself out of my patterns and and out of um yeah the behaviors i was so used to and i'll say i wasn't completely successful or or what i think what i should say is i had days that were more successful than others i had days that were not very successful and it's still a process i'm in i didn't just like do some visualizations and then shit was cool right because when i get wounded in a situation I'm literally never only working with the wound at hand. That wound then triggers other past wounds. And if it's bad enough, it triggers my most painful wound, which is the belief that God doesn't love me or that I'm cursed or something. And like other people are blessed and there's nothing that can be done. That's just my lot in life, right? Like that's, that's like the real despair space for me, which by the way, those are great examples of some of the beliefs that make resilience so hard for trauma survivors. Our most basic building block beliefs are themselves sometimes steeped in despair and hopelessness. The core lens that we use to see the world can be so anti-resilience that resilience feels impossible sometimes. Like it feels it feels like you're drowning in the goddamn ocean. And then someone's just like, just be resilient. Just see the positive side of this situation. Or like, this is actually an opportunity for growth. And you're like, hi, I'm 20 feet under the surface of the water chained to a boulder. So either send a team or fucking fuck off. <laughs> which is just to say, which is just to say, if any of that feels familiar, you're not alone. I get it. And I have been getting it <laughs> for a very long time. So anyway, I've known this about resilience for years, about how it's like the precursor to success. But the thing about 
when I first learned that was I imagined resilient people as people who were naturally sort of cheery and who just like never were maybe not never, but like rarely got discouraged or they like used them being discouraged to like fuel them to keep going or something like that. And that absolutely is probably what they were talking about. Right. And those people probably do exist and they probably make great fucking team leaders and CEOs and inventors and like, you know, startup starter uppers. I don't know what, what those people are called, (laughs) but for the rest of us, that's not what resilience is going to look like maybe ever certainly not at first resilience is going to look like scream sobbing in your car and maybe even thinking about driving it off a cliff and then when you can't cry anymore deciding instead to get in bed and saying to yourself let's just see about tomorrow let's just see it's waking up and saying what's one step I can take in the right direction? What's one healing thing I can do today? And then what's one new daily habit I can bring in every day that helps me? Maybe it's meditating. Maybe it's like taking a walk, you know? It's asking yourself, where's the healing in this for me? I know so many people say to ask, What is this trying to teach me? But that question just pisses me off because it feels dismissive. Like it feels sociopathic in the sense that it lacks empathy. When you're hurting so bad, you can barely breathe and some motherfucker shows up like, what is this trying to teach you? It's just the wrong question in that moment. It might be right eventually, but like not immediately, right? A part of the resilience practice for me is instead of trying to skip ahead to the lesson as a way of dissociating from the excruciating moment I'm in, I give my pain a voice. Like if your heart had a voice and could tell you what was happening inside it, like saying, this is too much, right? This is too much pain. I can't take it. I'm afraid I'll never heal this. I feel so alone. I feel so afraid. All the things that we're not supposed to say because we're supposed to be cool and evolved and like healed and whatever, saying that shit, going there, just letting all that dark, taboo, painful, hidden stuff have a voice, that stuff that's buried deep in your heart or in your gut or in your chest, wherever you feel it. I had a woman in my life when I was little who was sort of like a grandmother and she described it like popping a zit. She told me, this was when I was like in my very early 20s. She told me, you have to get the poison out. The resilience for me is in not pretending that terrible pain isn't there the way that I had to as a little girl. It's surrendering to what's real and true for me and letting it push its way out. Energy is so fucking crazy because it really is its own thing, its own entity. It's an energy inside me that I now choose to work with in healing ways instead of feeling ashamed for having it and then, you know, ignoring it, pretending it's not, it's not there when it is. The resilience is in not having the shame anymore for feeling so heartbroken or hopeless that I can hardly move. And sometimes The answer to the question, where's the healing in this, 
is going to that place, not to wallow in it, not to be in a, in despair, but to honor it and move through it. That pain has been inside my body for so long. Bearing witness to it is a resilient act of self-love for me. It's like I'm a doula for my own pain. It's, it's like if you think about pain from that perspective, from the perspective of like I'm a doula for my pain, then the pain is this like, it's this baby. It's this sweet baby that you give love to and that you attend to, right? Not that you shame and tell to go away. Recently, I was meditating and I asked the question, what do I need to heal right now? And what I heard was embrace wild, embrace wild. And I mean, that could have meant a lot of different things to different people, but I could just feel that it was trying to tell me to move my body, to dance in my room and to like, to move intuitively and not give a fuck how I looked or to judge it or to get in my head about it. And so I did, I just let go. I got up. I don't have a very big bedroom. I just got up and I like was just like moving my body and something took over and I started, how would I explain this? I started like acting out the story of my heart's experience but it was it, it it wasn't conscious i wasn't trying to control it it was like my emotional body was talking to me through the movement and i was witnessing it and i got answers through the movement it was like i was like oh i started to understand sort of where my defenses were coming from and that actually they were what, what's the word I want to use? They were sort of sacred. Th these, these defenses were um, not necessarily helping, but they were there with the intention of helping. And then it gave me information about like how to work with them in a loving way and what the healing was that I needed. Is that wild? <laughs> and that's resilience for me. I bought this deck of affirmations that I saw on Queer Eye and I use them like tarot cards. Um, I'll say I rarely work with tarot anymore, only because if you get me around tarot, I want definitive answers about the future. And I just don't think that's a healthy way to work with the tarot. But working with affirmations the same way I work with the tarot, meaning going over the cards with my hands and waiting for the right card to jump out at me, like this is the message for me, working with affirmations that way. That can be that one healing thing I do for myself every day. If I can do nothing else in a day, I can intuitively pull an affirmation and say that affirmation out loud and allow it to be a supportive guide for me. Things like, you know, there's one, there's one that just came up for me the other day that was, I'm, I'm enough exactly the way I am and really allowing that into my psyche way, you know, this way of reframing my thoughts for the day in a way that's supportive. That's resilience for me. Channeling my pain into a poem or a dance class. I go to two dance classes a week specifically for that reason, right? Like, or a drawing or whatever creatively feels good. That's resilience for me. Knowing what brings me joy. 
I, I love to travel. I love it so much. And I love to go two-stepping, which is it's the Texas two-step. It's, I grew up in Texas. It's a form of like country dancing, but like not shitty country. It's not line dancing is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, yeah. Two-stepping or, or just like meeting my friends for karaoke. That's, that's resilience, right? Choosing to do those things, like knowing what I love, knowing what brings me joy and choosing to do those things, not in a way that distracts me from my pain, right? Not like everything's fine. I'm just going to like take a trip to the Bahamas. Not like that. But like, in addition to my other practices, doing these joyful things, consciously bringing joy into my life, that's resilience for me. When I was really going through it with this thing earlier in the year, I made this decision. Well, after months, I made this decision to stop asking, why did this have to happen to me? Which is like in the same vein as choosing to stop asking, why did I get this family and other people got other families? Why did, why does, why doesn't my dad, you know, want to be a dad to me? Why did this person betray me? Why did God let this happen? Right. Or any of those like sort of impossible why questions, because they bring me right to despair. And the truth is they're so exhausting for me because I can't ever find a good answer for a why question, like an answer that's going to clarify or satiate. And I intentionally, for that reason, stopped asking why I was like, Rem, we can't keep doing this. And I decided instead to say to myself, this is what happened. Now, what do we do to create a best case scenario out of this shit storm? What are my next moves? I just am where I am on my journey. Like as if I were a little peg on a board game and that bullshit that happened is behind me on the board game. It happened. It's done. All I can do now is work with the part of the game that I have in front of me. If I use every turn when it's my turn to ask why the fuck that thing had to happen, I can't move forward on the board. So that's also resilience for me that I stop going into that why spiral and instead just look honestly at where I am and ask myself, what can I do to treat myself like the precious fucking treasure that I am now that that thing has happened? Resilience means taking it to my therapist and getting really messy in that safe space, doing an inner child reparenting visualization where I scream and rage and grieve for what happened when I was, you know, three or 10 or 18 that's coming up again because of this new wound. I mean, I talk about reparenting visualizations all the time on the pod. I would say, hands down, it has been the number one tool for me in my healing. The number one thing that has moved me out of being in a trauma loop um, and so I, I, so I, I won't like go way deep into them, but in these, in this practice, you, you reimagine you, you go into the moment when this trauma happened, you allow yourself to have all the feelings 
that you probably weren't allowed to have at the time to be pissed off, to be hurt, to scream and cry and like whatever you need to do from the space of, of the child that you were at the time. And then you insert an adult version of yourself and that adult version fucking rips into the adults who were there, who should have been protecting you, who should have been loving you, right? Who should have been taking care of you. You let out whatever you want to say to them. And then you turn to the child version of yourself and you care for them and you offer them comfort and love. So using my imagination in that way to comfort and heal myself, where I have a loving father who supports me and celebrates me and a loving mom who doesn't verbally attack me or invite my cheating exes over on Christmas. I imagine new parents for myself or I become that new parent for myself. I've done both. And I let myself feel deeply loved and seen and secure. That's resilience for me doing that work. And surrender is another kind of resilience. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and like blow smoke up your ass. One of the hardest things for me in my emotional well-being journey has been trusting life, which by the way, just don't ask a bunch of trauma survivors to trust that life has their back when literally their whole childhood was just life being like, oh, you got this right. Like all this trauma, you're good. Right. Cause I'm just going to like go do some other shit over here. Like asking us to surrender and trust that life is going to make sure everything works out when that quite simply was not the case many times. It's just not smart to ask trauma survivors to surrender and have faith. So I just want to validate if, if any of you have ever been frustrated with yourselves for not being able to surrender, that's totally okay. It would be bonkers if you could surrender. That would be the crazy thing. So anyway, it's not something I'm great at, but what I have noticed is that getting into nature or you know, even going to a dance class or like if I take a trip somewhere, even a day trip or something and saying, okay, this is me surrendering. I'm not going to sit around analyzing this or being in despair or wondering why it happened or, you know, going over conversations in my head for at least the next few hours on this hike or the next, you know, two days on this road trip or whatever it is. I'm surrendering in this very small contained safe way. I'm surrendering, surrendering to a relatively controlled situation that I know I like, and I'm letting go of this heartache as much as I possibly can while I do that. Right. It's like a small surrendering. And, and that's a kind of resilience for me. I don't have to just like trust life, which is <laughs> what? what? No, I don't have to do that. I don't have to like take on that massive undertaking. It's just a small way of surrendering and it's, and it's resilience for me. That's resilience for me. I also like this idea that I recently thought of if you're like in a breakup or, um, you're like a family member breakup or you're leaving a job or I don't know, like any, any situation like that, where you're like wanting to put something behind you, this idea that I had of writing the person's name or like describing the situation on a piece of paper and then fucking digging a hole and burying it, like literally giving it a funeral as a way of surrendering and saying, I'm done. I'm done trying to fix this or understand this or whatever. 
You can also like burn it and then spread the ashes somewhere, <laughs> you know, like RIP motherfucker, right? Like that's resilience for me. It's maybe never going to look the way I imagined resilience looking when I watched that Ted talk, like someone just being like, oh, wow, that's, that's a challenge. Like, what can I learn? What can I learn from this? I'm going to use this as a growth opportunity. I'm probably always going to be someone who feels deeply and has big emotional responses and occasionally needs to scream sob in her car. But one of the things that I learned this year is that resilience isn't formulaic. It's probably going to look different for everyone. But when life takes a bat to your knees and you think, I don't think I can do this. You're at that place on the board game where you have to make a choice about your next move and you can choose, you can choose to numb out. You can choose to tell yourself you suck. You're the worst. You can choose to hurt yourself or, you know, to tell yourself you'll never get it right or that life hates you. Right. And you're cursed and it's never going to get any better. Or, you know, you can choose to like use your turn to ask why over and over again, why did this have to happen? But none of that's going to move you forward on the board. And of course, if you're having suicidal ideation, which I'm very open about the fact that I have, suicide is game over and you'll never know what could have changed if you'd stuck around and made some different choices. So anyway, that's what I've been thinking about that I wanted to share as we move into the new year. I wanted to pose this question, what does resilience mean for you? What does it look like for you, for you to make a hopeful choice when you're in that place of despair or, you know, maybe you're not in despair, but you're just like in a rut or something. If you could wake up every morning and decide to take one step in the right direction, what would it be? Following through on that thing is resilience. You don't have to not be discouraged or not default to despair for a minute or like suddenly be securely attached or like suddenly just be able to surrender to life. You know, you you might want to get really super fucking messy for a while as a form of resilience so you don't numb out or fawn or dissociate. That's OK. If that's the right step for you to move in the direction of healing, then take that step. But but make a healing choice, whatever that looks like. And, and don't give up on yourself, right? Like this year fucked me up so bad at one point that I didn't know how I was going to make it through. But instead of going into my stories about being cursed, well, wait, did I? <laughs> I mean, at first I did. Yeah, let's be honest. At first I definitely went into my stories, but eventually I got to a place where I was like, what's the next healthy choice? And what's the next healthy choice? And what's the next one? Until I really started to feel better. And I really started to see that I am resilient. I have tools. I know how to use them. Like resilience, yeah, maybe maybe for some people, um, like it's a state of mind. 
But for me, it's like actions that I take. I do things. I, I make a choice and I do something different than what I was doing before. And I choose that over despair. <sighs> okay. You guys, so much love for all of you in the new year. I'm so deeply grateful for all the letters I've gotten. If you've ever emailed me or DM'd me or left me a comment on the Spotify Q&A or left the pot a review, just please know how much it means to me to hear from you and read your words and hear about how the podcast has impacted you. You have no idea how much it means to me. It is a beautiful thing to be on this journey with all of you. And um, yeah, I mean, I, when I think about it, like the fact that I even started this podcast was coming from a place of resilience. Although I don't think I ever would have called it that or thought about it that way before, but it was coming from a place of like, I don't want to go on thinking that I'm alone in this. And I'm, I'm going to make a pretty bold new choice. Um, and like create a space where we can all feel less alone. And so I just, um, yeah, thank you guys so much for helping me feel less alone as you've reached out to me over the last couple years. And I hope your New Year's Eve is the best. I hope you wear tons of sequins and glitter and show a little titty or not. <laughs> You're not into that. Um, but I hope you have a beautiful New Year. And I'll be back in March. And in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Insta at the Patrama Party. I know um, I I don't know if I'll post to the grid so much because normally I just post about the episodes on the grid. But um, I will certainly be posting on the stories. I'm pretty consistent with the stories and I'll and I'll continue to do that um, in the next couple of months while I take a break. Or, you know, you can find me on my personal Insta at Remy's R-E-M-E-E-Z. Oh, the pod Insta is at the Patrama Party. Uh, and you can also email me at patramaparty at gmail.com. If you have a topic you'd like to hear when I come back, definitely hit me up. Also, if you want to join the Patrama Party community, you can find us on Facebook. It's a really cool group of listeners. We check in with each other about what we're going through and offer support and resources. So if you're into that, just search the Patrama Party and I'll add you. And speaking of support, if this pod has helped you and you have a minute, rate, review, subscribe. It really does help. I read all the reviews. And if you'd like to support the pod, you can. You can give a dollar, five dollars, whatever. My Venmo is at Remy-Ramirez. And you can also find me on um and you can also support, just go to podcasters.spotify.com. This is so ridiculous. Forward slash pod, forward slash show, forward slash the Patrama Party. And then there's a little um, support button that you can scroll down to. But if you're on Spotify, you can also find it there. And until next time, baby, enjoy the party.
The information provided on this podcast is for informational purposes only. None of the material presented is intended to be a substitute for psychotherapy, counseling, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you need to speak with a professional, find one local to you and reach out directly.